This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to the Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. Is Trussonomics really dead? Though Liz Truss and many of her loyalists are now back on the backbenches, there may be something of an attempt to revise her legacy, or at least to show up its merits. I'm Cindy Yu, and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Hill to discuss. Now, Katie, you wrote about this in your Times column this week. To start with, can you set the scene of this reunion of Truss and a few of her loyalists in a Chinese restaurant in Westminster just before Christmas? What were they talking about? Yes, yeah, so... It's a site, I think, that would have alarmed any government whip. So it's a few weeks before Christmas in the far corner of Mala, a very good Chinese restaurant. Highly recommend. I would add. We are both regulars, Cindy. Sat Liz Trust with two former members of her cabinet and also one of her former close aides who had worked as a parliamentary private secretary. Um, now, you could say there's nothing unusual about old colleagues meeting up we've all been there having some dim sum chewing the issues of the day maybe with James Forsyth soon (laughs) well I hope one day he will have dim sum with me but to be confirmed but I think ultimately the reason this got people talking is what are this group planning to do because you have a situation where if you think about the fact that and we know we repeatedly say the party got through, you know, on, onto the third prime minister by the end of 2022. But what do all those quite ambitious, ideological politicians with strong views that, you know, haven't just come out of anywhere do now they're on the back benches? And around the time of this mala, we, we can call it a summit, though perhaps it's fair to call it lunch. Um, at the time of this, that was when Simon Clark was working on the Wind Farm Amendment, which was to say, actually, there should, you know, let's lift the ban, the effective ban on onshore wind farms. And I think that if you look at the different groups that pose a problem to Rishi Sunak in terms of the parliamentary party, so far, it's the Boris Johnson lawyers that have far been the loudest. And you can see that in things like Jake Berry, who, yes, served under Liz Truss, but has talked about how Boris Johnson will return, suggesting he is almost the Tory party's mistress. Nadine Doris, this week, adding to comments she's already said about, you know, really a lack of support for Rishi Sunak and suggesting he has no mandate. And generally the trust sites if we want to call them that have been much quieter now part of this is just because of the exceptional circumstances in which her premiership blew up which i think mean that this is not the time to go and throw out more ideas but i think as we go into the new year we can expect a bit more from them for example james has interviewed simon clark for this week's magazine and he was talking about yes we made mistakes but that shouldn't be a reason to get rid of an entire school of tory thinking and i think the reason this is interesting is when you look at Rishi Sunak's speech this week, his five priorities, that is an attempt, along with the strike laws, by number 10 to try and get out early, set the traps, say they have an agenda after all this criticism. But even still, these Tory MPs are saying, you know, is this the right, you know, are they going radical enough on growth? Is there enough there? And it just means as the weeks and months go on, I think that you, you could see more MPs pushing for this and whether or not you think Liz Truss should have a central role in it, which I think lots of even her former ministers do not think would be a good idea. I think the general idea of supply-side reform as a means for growth is something we're going to be hearing a lot more of as, as MPs look at the polls and urge Rishi Sunak to be more radical. 
James, well, let, let's bring your interview in for the magazine this week as well. I mean, as Katie says, one of the quotes that Simon Clark gave you was that there's a battle for the soul of the Tory party on the way. But I thought it was interesting how he was actually quite complimentary of Rishi Sunak, saying that he's actually a radical and brave policymaker. So what, what is the difference, to Simon Clark's mind, between these two sides of the approach to economics? Well, first of all, I think that every prime minister, there's a battle really for their ear. And there's competing factions always trying to get whoever's the number 10 to listen to them. But I think that the difficulty for Rishi Sunak is the question of how radical can you be when you've got an election next year? Normally in parliaments, at this sort of stage, you're trying to just get the barnacles off the boat and campaign, if you think about that 2014 year ahead of the 2015 election. But I think that with this party where it's at, there is a sense of, well, COVID ruined our agenda. We've got a big majority now. If we don't do some radical things now, when are we ever going to get to do them? And also, I think there's a bit of concern that given the current state of the polls, if they don't do these things now, when will the Tories get back in to complete them? So I think like strike laws, for instance, has been a sort of counter briefings over the last few days or so. And that's obviously now going to be a priority. And that's something that can keep most Tories happy. So it's about trying to get an agenda which can keep all the groups together. And I thought what was quite interesting and probably the most telling 48 hours of British next premiership thus far was when on the Monday, the government watered down the housing targets in order to appease the supposed NIMBY lobby led by Theresa Villiers and Bob Seeley. And on the Tuesday, they then U-turned on the onshore wind farm. And that basically shows that what Simon Clark Pass would call the pro-growth and anti-growth factions are both competing and they both can exact an influence on the agenda. The question is always, you know, who's got who's in the ascendancy? Mm. I mean, Katie, reading your column, the feeling I get, and you say that Rishi Sunak needs to be mindful of this caucus that's forming, but isn't Rishi Sunak the MP's choice? I mean, doesn't he have more political capital with the party than he's kind of using and exercising? I mean, he does seem to be quite heavily influenced by what the, whatever the latest row is. And one thing that I'm thinking of is this requirement to test visitors from China, where Downing Street initially said, no, we're not going to do that. I think in terms of was he was the MP's choice, I mean, technically, yes. And he did have the highest number of MPs over the summer. But it's still compared to previous previous Tory election campaigns, you know, it wasn't the level of MP support we've seen in some other recent leadership elections. And I think, again, you just get part back to the fact that there's just so much poison in this parliamentary party. So Rishi Sunak has really succeeded in calming things down since he took over. And that sense of uh, getting rid of lots of the psychodrama, they called it the sugar high in number 10. But I think as things actually do stabilise, it means lots of people these views, I guess they want to start making their points heard again. On top of the Simon Clark group, you also have what is Liz Truss going to do? Now, both Liz Truss and Boris Johnson have said that they are going to stick around in the Commons and seek re-election. I'm not sure every Rishi Sunak supporter is so thrilled by this. And we know that Boris Johnson's team are not being particularly subtle about the fact he would like to return one day. There's some speculation that could be, even be an attempt if the local elections go badly by the autumn. But there are also Boris Johnson supporters who say that would be the wrong time to go if there's a return for Boris Johnson's after the next election. And that's why I think when it comes to the battle of ideas, what will Liz Truss do? And I don't think that she would have, you know, if Liz Truss, there's some rumours, for example, she might start her own think tank. If Liz Truss starts her own think tank, I don't think that that is going to, in of itself, suddenly change Tory opinion. Lots of Tory MPs are very scarred by that whole period. But I think we saw with the childcare arrive this week. So you have Rishi Sunak setting out his five priorities. Then all of a sudden there's a story in the Telegraph saying, oh, Rishi Sunak is ditching Liz Truss's childcare reform plans, which is about the ratios and revising another measure too. And 
I think that took number 10 quite by surprise because this wasn't a policy that had been formally announced, mm-hmm. but yet they're being accused of backsliding on it. And they're trying to set their five priorities. And all of a sudden, because there's this round going where sources close to Liz Trust brief out that they should go on, you then have former trust ministers, so Kit Malthouse saying they should go ahead, as well as Simon Clark. But not only that, the fact that all of a sudden Rishi is being criticised for backing down on childcare means you have MPs on the other side of the party saying, oh, what's our childcare offer? We need something on childcare. And and I think, therefore, even if you don't think, for example, the trust government, and Simon Clark in his interview, James does admit to mistakes, but even if you think this is still too soon, you still have the potential by raising these issues and arguing things for, to to add to the sense there's a bit of a vacuum because Rishi Sunil wants to under-promise and over-deliver. So it looks mm-hmm. very, you know, just, just keep on keeping on and things will slowly get better. And I think with the polls and the panic, that, that's the danger when people start, you know, pushing for, for more radicalism in that sense. Yeah, and just to add, I think that it's partly ideological, as Katie says, but also personal as well. And I think that's always difficult when you've got an internal party faction, when it's played out in the way things have. Some people feel more personal loyalty to Liz Truss, some feel more personal to Boris Johnson. It's not it's not like in 2019 when you had that electoral mandate to bind the whole party together on an agenda. It's, it's far more of a vacuum, as Katie says, which is why you see some of these rows in that sort of policy space that's opened up. Well, James, I thought it was interesting that in both your both your pieces, the trust faction don't see themselves as a trust faction so much as they see themselves as the pro-growth element and anyone against them is, I guess, the anti-growth party, the coalition. But James, maybe I wasn't looking deep enough, but what pro-growth policies did Liz Truss put in when she was prime minister? I mean, this growth label is in itself something that they would like to dub themselves, right? I mean, she only had 49 days, so I mean... They would argue that real trustonomics has never been tried in one sense. Someone made that argument to me. I think, well, obviously the, the tax cuts agenda, what we saw, the she was putting in into motion things like the childcare review and then obviously looking at things like the like onshore wind, etc. So there was a kind of a kind of sort of energy and economics focus there. And we would have seen more. We would have seen more of the policies if we'd seen her longer in power, basically. But um, I think it's, we're going to see this more and more fleshed out. As you say, like, I think not all of them do see themselves as personal to this trust. I mean, Simon Clark's new initiative is called The Next Generation Tories. And he made the point to me that he's had MPs across the party sign up for this. You know, from him, he said he, he defined himself as reasonably of the right of the party. And then all the way to sort of Matt Hancock, who's currently whipless, obviously, but on the pretty left tradition of the party. So I think that it's partly, I mean, they're not really trying to fight the last war. What we are saying is that going forward, you know, I think their experiences in government, et cetera, have convinced them only more of their agenda. And actually, there is a lot of kind of cross-party appeal. The question is, obviously, is that seen as a direct challenge to Rishi Sunak or not? And inevitably, given some of the people, given some of the hurt feelings involved, I think it might do. James, just on that, can you just explain this next generation Tories idea? Yeah, sure. It's just an initiative, really. It's got a lot of MPs. They're planning a launch, I think, in the next month or so. Basically, it's an attempt to try and win the under 40s vote. There was recent polling last month which showed that only 15% of those between, I think, 25 and 49 intends to vote Conservative in the next election. That is catastrophic polling. And they're trying to get a policy offering for those people on things like house building, on childcare, on getting a way in which you get a net zero agenda, which as Simon said to me, doesn't impose a hair shirt mentality. And so it's just another one of those initiatives to try and get the Conservatives to realise they've got a growing electoral coalition and they need to be thinking more seriously about this election and the one 
coming up because I think the one after this election could be catastrophic for Conservatives based on current trends and demographics. Though I think it's worth pointing out on this group, I mean, part of what is clever about Simon Clark's group is you're not going to find a single Tory who says, oh no, we shouldn't think of an offer for young people. And that is obviously the, the guise of it saying, let's all have an offer for young people. But it is inherently a free market group if you look at everything they're currently suggesting in terms of what they're doing. And, and I think that, <laughs> therefore, it does fit into a certain wing of the party. And therefore, you can always have these conversations I've seen in the past few years. So oh, we all agree on this. And then you get to the detail. And what Onward, as I think Tank will suggest, is like to be different to um, what the IEA will suggest, of course. I mean, I could be wrong here, but I think by the time you get to Simon Clark actually announcing these policies, I'd be interested to see how much of this coalition of Tory MPs actually gather behind them. Interesting. And finally, Katie, if you were in number 10 advising Rishi Sunak, as, as one of our former colleagues is, what would you advise him to do about this phenomenon? Well, I think ultimately Rishi Sunak thinks that he is governing a coalition of Tory MPs. When I interviewed him before Christmas, that was something he, you know he implied he was aware of in the sense that his team know that he doesn't have a, really a direct mandate. Yes, he won the second leadership contest of 2022, but in pretty exceptional circumstances. And I think they're really worried about actually being too bold and then finding out you can't get your plans free. So on strike reform this week, that's a really good example. So one of the ideas that I wrote about in the magazine, which they were considering about, was raising the threshold in terms of when the really important public services, so, for example, health workers, are allowed to strike. So it's 50% of all eligible members who have to vote for it, and then a majority of that. They have not done that because of concerns that actually that was not in the manifesto. So if it goes to the Lords, they could kick it back. It's better to stick with the minimum service, which is something that was in the manifesto. And... Some people will say, well, that's not radical enough for the problem, but it is a sign of not wanting to say something and then not achieve it. I think Rishi Sunak thinks that was a flaw in terms of what Boris Johnson did. And I think that extends to the parliamentary party, which is, number 10 would ultimately say, to lots of these supply reform ideas. Well, we can put that to the Commons, but for example, if you look at... So I saw a copy of Liz Truss's unpublished growth plan. It was supposed to be published after the not-so-many budget, but because of the fallout from that, it, it never made it through it. And it was supposed to be various days for all this reform they were going to do. And even on some of the things there, speaking to some who were involved, so for example, one of the things they wanted to do was increase 5G. MPs always say, well, we want to increase the 5G rollout, we want to go faster. But they were preparing for uh, an issue parliamentary wise because that involves cables and diggings and all of a sudden you come against come up against those who are really worried about planning and the disruption to their constituencies and therefore I think when it comes to how Rishi Sunak needs to navigate this I don't think he needs to take wholesale a trust agenda and also what we're talking about here yes there's always been calls for lower taxes but can you do more on the supply side I think that's where this debate is going I don't think he needs to t adopt the whole thing. But I think, do you think he probably is going to have to be quite mindful of showing enough of ambition in the coming months? Because yes, he wants to be a realist. He comes in and can point to delivery. But the risk is in doing that, you get MPs saying what they've been saying over the summer of his pitch, which is managed decline. And some people listening to this may agree with that. Others will be listening saying, why on earth would Rishi Sunak listen to Liz Truss, given what happened during that premiership? But a lot of these MPs who backed Liz Truss over Rishi Sunak did so because they liked the fact it was a bolder offer and that hasn't gone away. Katie and James, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening. If you like this podcast, do leave us a rating and a review. And remember, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs>